0: Yes, you're here. Hi, hi, hi. Yes, lovely to be here with you all.
1: So, hi, Dr. Achitan. So good to be with you after so, so, so long. We were together in college, and now, you know, this platform, we I get this opportunity to do it with you.
0: <laughs> I know it's been ages, and so lovely to be with you. Uh, be with you here, Dr. Ravi.
1: Yeah, so, uh, all right, I think a uh, few of the viewers are joining us. So today's session is on plant-based nutrition. I think uh, a very much needed uh, session because, uh, you know, considering the amount of lifestyle conditions which are on the way nowadays, I think plant-based uh, medicine or plant-based lifestyle uh, is becoming the solution to it. And more and more people are moving towards it. And uh, we have you here today who has been practicing this, this uh, I think, since the uh, very much time you uh, left college. Um, so, yeah, let's hear from you today. Uh, would you, uh, I, I would request you to introduce yourself to the viewers today and then let's begin.
0: Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Achyutra Nishwar. I'm the co-founder of NutritionScience.in and Sampurnahara.com. Um, I was inspired to become a lifestyle physician when I saw my grandparents reversing diabetes and hypertension after decades of suffering in just 10 days of time after starting yoga and a plant-based diet. Uh, I, I'm uh, Dr. Ravantikas Junior from college. We studied together to become and yoga physicians. So happy to be here with all of you and uh, sharing what I've learned over the last few years and helped, uh, which has helped hundreds, thousands of my patients to achieve better health. So thank you for having me here and we're really looking forward to sharing with all of you.
1: All right, Dr. Ashupan. So, uh, you know, before beginning, I think we would want a quick introduction on what really is plant-based nutrition. And uh, uh, because I'm, I'm sure most of the people here uh, wouldn't know uh, much in detail and is considered to be very tough and uh, not very easy to follow. So uh, could you, you know, give us a brief on what really is plant-based nutrition?
0: Sure. A whole food plant-based diet is the healthiest diet for human beings. This has been found through decades of scientific research. It is the only diet that has been proven to prevent and reverse the number one killer of men and women today. That's ischemic heart disease. For many of you, this may be the first time you're hearing the term whole food blood-based, right? But this is actually the diet that was eaten by our ancestors all the way until a few decades back. right? You translated it to an Indian language. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Whole food means sampur Nahara. And plant-based diet is sasyahara hara or shakha Now, these are terms we've all grown up with. These are terms that we know what these are. We just haven't heard it in English as yet. That's it, right? So all we need to do is go back to our roots, eat the way our ancestors ate, and we will be able to be as healthy as they were when it comes to chronic lifestyle diseases. And this is not just because they ate that way, but it's because it's been validated by decades of scientific research as well. Right. So,
1: so that, uh, that does this really mean just having uh, unprocessed food or what all does it include, you know?
0: That's a good question. As soon as anyone hears the term whole food plant-based, the first thing you think of is, oh my God, I can't live the rest of my life eating salads and juices. <laughs> but that's nowhere near the truth. You can eat anything and everything you enjoy eating from your burgers to pizzas to uh, masal dosas to vada pavs to chaat and pasta and whatever you want. The only thing that changes are the ingredients that you use to prepare those foods, right? Now, what a whole food plant-based diet means is we avoid eating unhealthy foods. We avoid eating two types of food. One is animal foods and the other is processed foods. Animal foods include meat, fish eggs, as well as dairy products. That means milk and anything made from milk, including curds, ghee, butter, buttermilk, cheese, paneer, cream, etc. Second is processed food. Now, processed foods doesn't just mean packaged food, junk food that you get from a supermarket or a restaurant, but also many ingredients that we use in our kitchen on a regular basis. These include oil, white rice and maida, rava, um, sugar, jaggery, and even alcohol. So if you want to live healthy, if you want to eat a healthy diet, all we need to do is eliminate all these foods from your diet. The next question you're probably thinking of is what do I eat? (laughs) This is what we all eat every day. The answer to that is we eat a diet rich in whole, unprocessed plant foods. That includes fruits, vegetables, dals, nuts, whole grains, um, pulses, legumes, herbs, and spices, and even mushrooms as much as you like, right? So you can pretty much eat anything you want as long as you cook it using healthy ingredients.
1: So the, the regular kind of dals or rice or, you know, grains which are available in the market, do you, uh, like, do you, uh, think those are okay to, to be used or, uh, you know, how do we get
0: them? Sure, absolutely. Sure, absolutely. In fact, there are just two questions we need to ask ourselves to identify whether a food is healthy or unhealthy for us. The first question is, is this from a plant? Right. If it's from an animal, don't eat it. If it's from a plant, then question number two, is this a whole food? If it's a processed food, you avoid it. If it's a whole food, you can eat as much as you like. Now, let me quickly define processed food so that we can understand what exactly it is, right? Now, a processed food is any food from which something good has been removed or something bad has been added. It's as simple as that. Let me give you an example. You take a handful of ground nuts, right? That's a whole food. That's just the way it's found in nature. But you squeeze it, you remove the oil from it, throw away the fiber, the groundnut oil that you're left with is now a processed food because you've removed something good from the whole groundnut. You mm. make a carrot subji or a palak sabji, right? You put one spoon of oil into it. Now that subji has now become a processed food because you've added something bad to it. <laughs> By this definition, pretty much everything we eat is a processed food. Right? Yes. But if any food qualifies these two conditions, yes, it's from a plant, yes, it's a whole food, then it's healthy for us, we can eat it. Of course, getting organic is always better, not just for us, but also for the farmers. Uh, But if you're unable to find organic food where you are, then you can just eat conventionally grown food and wash it in 10% salt solution. That gets rid of most of the pesticide as well. So, yes, you can buy food from your regular grocery store right next to your house as long as it satisfies these two criteria.
1: All right. All right. So, uh, Dr. Achyutan, when we, you know, talk about dairy, it's a, it's a very, very controversial topic because, uh, especially here, you know, people in India have been, uh, you know, having dairy since, uh, the most ancient periods. We've seen our parents, our grandparents have dairy and probably, uh, during that time, uh, even though they were having dairy products, uh, you know, the, the number of diseases which are now are were probably not there during that time. So, uh, you know, what is your view on dairy? And, uh, you know, uh, it, it becomes very difficult for a regular normal person who've been brought up to have paneer and to have curd and to have milk. Suddenly we go on a dairy-free diet. So how do we bridge that gap? And uh, what, what are your views on dairy?
0: Sure. So I hear two questions there. One is, is dairy healthy for us to eat? If we've eaten it all these millennia, can't we continue eating it? The second question is, how do we make the shift? How do we shift to a dairy-free diet? Right. So number one... Yes, we have been consuming dairy for millennia, but at the same time, we've also been doing so many other things. We've been consuming meat, fish, eggs. We've been um, walking around in different kinds of clothes. We've been building different kinds of houses. Life has evolved, right? Human beings have evolved. And over millions of years of evolution, we have eaten a largely complete based diet. Even if you look at, uh, are you, I mean, go back home and ask your grandparents, right? your oldest living relative, when they were children, how much milk did they drink and how often? Most likely, you'll find that they answer, we did not drink milk. We had buttermilk and there was a little bit of ghee and that was a few months in a year. It was a little bit from a cow at home and the entire family shared. It. So it's a very small quantity, about 90 to 95% of the traditional Indian diet came from whole plant foods not from animal foods like dairy in fact if you look at the vedas right you find that the oldest veda the rig veda does not mention the cow as a holy animal at all right but the second veda onwards the cow suddenly becomes elevated to the status of the goddess now in india one of the best ways to have protected something was to make it holy to make it divine right so Why would somebody want to protect the cow at that point in our history? When you think about it, we find that the answer is food insecurity, food scarcity. When you don't Mm. have enough food to eat, that's when you feel like eating anything that's in front of you, right? We all experience this even today. And imagine going for 10 days without food. You see a chicken at home, you feel like eating it. Mm. There is an animal near your house, you feel like eating it. If you're starving... You eat anything that works. So in that situation, in order to bring the values of ahimsa, nonviolence, into the common man's life, they created a compromise. And this is what I believe, right? They created a compromise, bringing the cows into people's houses, putting down rules, whether you treat the cow as a family member, make sure that you don't kill the cow, you take care of it until she grows old, you take care of her calves, you feed her enough food, keep her inside your house, give her shelter, give... All of these rules, right, to protect the cow so that when you're hungry, when you don't have any other food to eat, you feed the cow hay and you take some of the milk and you survive, right? It was a question of survival. Today, we don't have that question anymore. Most of us, we have more than enough food on on our plates, in our kitchens, in the stores. We don't have a food scarcity, right? However, as of today, there are almost a billion people on this planet who are starving, malnourished, because they don't have enough food to eat. On the other hand, we grow enough plant foods to feed anywhere between 10 and 14 billion human beings. We have only 8. Why are 1 billion people starving? Because half the food that's grown on earth today is fed to animals. Right? To so the animals right. that we grow. And then we eat the, what comes from those animals. We mm-hmm. eat the animals and we eat the remaining food. And there are a billion people who are starving. 900 million. To be asking, right? So yeah, animal agriculture, right. agriculture today is not only, uh, you know, unsustainable, but it's also against the laws of Ahimsa itself. Think about it. India is the number one exporter of beef. Right. When a um, farmer buys a, a, a dairy cow, right? uh, the lifespan of a normal, healthy dairy cow is about 20 to 25 years. But in India, the average lifespan of a milking cow is 8 to 10 years. At this time, once the cow reaches little less than half her lifespan, she is unable to produce any more children because cows, like human beings, give milk only after they give birth right, for their children. But since they're unable to produce any more children, the cows get sold to a slaughterhouse uh, where they are killed and uh, slaughtered and sold for meat and leather. So uh, it's not only um, unsustainable, but also involves a lot of animal cruelty and is part of the reason for uh, world hunger as well. So for all these reasons, if you really think about today's scenario and whether or not we should consume dairy, the answer is probably not. Even if you look at the ancient Indian uh, stories, right? The story of Krishna, for example, who's um, uh, quite popular for having consumed a lot of dairy. When you think about it, there is no story where Krishna drinks milk. There's
1: he no butter. story
0: where Krishna eats butter. There's even no story for that, right? But he steals butter. He's the makhan chor, not the makhan khanewala. <laughs> this is market shows. Why does he steal butter? In the stories, he steals butter because his friends did not have food to eat at home that day. They were hungry and starving. So he gives them the butter. He takes the remaining butter and they feed it to the monkeys on the roadside because the monkeys are also starving. What's the model of the story? It, quite clearly, it says to use butter in times of food insecurity when you don't have anything else to eat, use it. Right? but Today, that's not the case anymore. And if you look at the health effects of dairy, dairy consumption has today been associated with a wide range of diseases from asthma to Parkinson's disease to things like mouth ulcers to um, skin diseases, autoimmune diseases. Uh, Even type 1 diabetes has been closely associated with milk consumption. By the mother when she's pregnant with her baby, right? So, for all these reasons, it does not make sense to continue consuming dairy any longer. If you want to switch to a dairy-free diet, there are n number of different, different, different alternatives that you can make in your own home. Like you can make. Um, Who is not familiar with bada milk? We all know bada milk, right? But it's not milk with essence of bada mixed in it. You actually take Badams yeah. Right
1: most, you, you take bada, put it and mix take, it with water, and that's bada. yes <laughs> right. yes true uh, but also dr. Achidan, tell me uh, because you know uh I too have been practicing a plant based uh diet myself and uh have been preaching about it as well, but uh, I get a lot of questions uh from people asking that you know uh there are there are people. You know, who, uh, have dairy, who has, who have paneer, who have curd, uh, maybe even two to three times a day. And, uh, they don't have any such conditions. They don't have any problems. They don't suffer from any disease. Then, uh, why is it that we are having, uh, you know, these kind of issues? And why is it that it's, it's a mandate for us to, uh, go dairy free?
0: What's your view on Sure, So well, that's a great question. I have two answers mm-hmm. for it. Number one is when you look at case-by-case basis, your data is usually, you know, can go wrong very easily. Let me give you an example. If you have a friend or a relative who smokes every day and is 95 years old, you can't conclude that he's so old because he smokes every day, right? We know that smoking kills, smoking causes lung cancer, smoking causes heart attacks. That old man is old and healthy despite smoking, not because of smoking, right? So like that, the friend who's probably consuming a lot of dairy <laughs> to be healthy despite consuming all of the dairy and not because of it. The only way we can answer this question is to look at large-scale studies which have taken a huge number of people and assessed them to find out what really happens. Let's take one lakh people and see among them who consumes dairy and who doesn't. What is the difference in health between them? uh, Or you take one lakh people, you follow them for 10 years, tell half of them to consume dairy and the other half not to consume dairy and see what happens to them. Studies like this have found dairy consumption to be associated with increased health risk, with increased disease risk, increased risk of fractures, for example. Right? In many countries, the countries that consume the largest amount of dairy in the world are also the countries to have the largest fracture rates. And the reason is because when you consume milk, you do absorb the calcium from it. But because of the high amount of animal protein, the calcium does not leave your blood and get deposited in the bones, right? The blood uses calcium as a buffer to stop it from becoming too acidic. And because of this whole process, the calcium you consume consumed comes out in your pee the next day. It's not useful right. for the body. But calcium from plants gets deposited in your bones. Your bones become stronger. Think of the largest, strongest animals in the world. The rhinoceros, the hippopotamus, the uh, gorilla, the uh, chimpanzee, the orangutan, giraffes, water bison. They are all plant eaters. None of them consume.
1: Yes, I think calcium is one of the strongest myths about, uh, you know, going dairy-free. People, the first question which people ask is, you know, what about my calcium sources? Uh, Where will I get calcium from? Where will I get iron from? Where will I get protein from? Uh, So these are some of the common myths associated with, you know, uh, going plant-based. How And also B12. I think vitamin B12 is also a major concern nowadays because... I think uh, 90% of the people, uh, when they get themselves tested, the vitamin B levels are so low. So what are your views on these things? How do we overcome these with a the plant-based diet?
0: Sure. So I'll answer all the, uh, all these three specifically, calcium, iron and vitamin D. Um, calcium and iron, right? Yes, milk has calcium. Milk has iron. Milk comes from cows. Where do the cows get the calcium and iron from? Right? Like, they don't drink milk. They get calcium and iron from green leaves, from grass. That's what they eat. And today, cows don't even eat grass exclusively. Cows consume uh, the oil cake that is, in fact, refined from the food that we eat. So if you eat white rice, that's rice without the calcium of the bran, without the iron in the bran. But if you eat whole rice, then you get all of the calcium. What we do is we take out the calcium from our rice, we feed it to the cow and then drink the milk saying that has the calcium. It's actually from your food, it's taken out, right? So um, if we consume a plant-based diet, your requirement for calcium is actually much lower than if you consume animal foods. For a person consuming milk, your calcium requirement is about 1,200 milligrams a day. But if you consume exclusively a whole food plant-based diet, Because of the lack of animal protein in your food, you need only 600 and not 1,200 to satisfy your daily requirements. Same goes with iron. You have plenty of iron, especially in green leafy vegetables, in dals like chickpeas. Plenty of iron that you need that you can consume on a daily basis and delicious sources as well. Vitamin B12, on the other hand, is a vitamin that's not produced by plants or by animals. Vitamin B12 is produced by bacteria, which live in soil. So if you're living a natural lifestyle, like we have evolved and we're supposed to be living, if you're living close to nature, then we will have a little bit of mud under our fingernails, fruits that are not washed fully, drinking water from natural streams, all of which will give us enough vitamin B12 that we require, right? But, Because we live in sanitized city environments, we don't have exposure to this B12. On the plus side, we also don't get worm infestations as much, which is a good thing. (laughs) But the solution for this is to take a vitamin B12 supplement. We recommend cyanocobalamin, 250 micrograms a day, all 2,500 micrograms once a week for everybody, regardless of whether you're eating a whole food plant-based diet or otherwise. Even the B12 in milks, for example, is fed to the cows cows get the b12 supplement and then it's there in the milk right so you can just skip the middle cow and take the supplement yourself
1: right yeah i think uh, that's why probably you know uh, awareness at this point is very important because uh, even my personal experience uh, you know with this with so many of the patients Have only motivated me to, uh, you know, take up this path. So, uh, yeah, I think viewers, you can also put in your questions if you have any of those. Uh, The next would be, uh, you know, uh, could you share a healing story, Uh, a very, you know, um, something which was not possible and which happened, uh, your experience, your experience with any of your patients, uh, which could motivate uh, our viewers.
0: Sure. not just one yeah. Something happens every single day. And, and that's the beauty of our practice. I'm sure you agree. We see patients who come to us every day saying, I have done this for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I've had this issue and I've not found any solution. But the minute they change their diet and lifestyle, it's like magic disease gets reversed by the body itself. The body heals itself. Uh, my own grandparents, for example, right in two thousand six years back, my grandfather one day suddenly started vomiting blood. Now this was when uh, we were in college. I think you were graduating, and I was in internship. Uh, my grandfather suddenly started vomiting blood, we rushed him to the hospital, and he was diagnosed with internal bleeding, a side effect of a medication that he had been taking for the last 30 years for his hypertension. The doctors tried everything they could, but the vomiting did not stop. It just happened, kept happening again and again for the next three weeks. At the end of that, he got so fed up that he called me and said, I want a permanent solution. So he and my grandmother went to Pavitra Nature and Yoga Hospital by, uh, run by Dr. Subramaniam and Coimbatore. And in 10 days, they came back home. Not only had the blood vomiting stopped, but his blood pressure, he had hypertension, right? And my grandmother's diabetes, uh, was so much better that the sugar and BP were normal for the first time in over a decade with 90% less medications. That's the beauty of a plant-based diet, right? Lesser symptoms on less medications. They both lost 10 kgs of weight each. My grandmother's knees had improved so much. She was walking up and down the stairs multiple times a day, something that she was never able to do before. And my grandfather had so much energy that we felt safe letting him go out to the shop by himself for the first time in years. Earlier, we'd never do that because we'd be scared. He might sleep off on the bus. But now it didn't happen, right? So like that, every day there are... Miraculous things happening. We've had so many couples who've been suffering from PCOS and infertility for years, trying for a baby for five years, seven years, eight years, nine years. But then when they changed their diet and lifestyle, so many of them, there was even one couple who were um, scheduled to undergo their um, second or third fertility treatment cycle. And uh, in between, they took a break and they changed their diet. Uh, And when they went back, for the next set of tests to start the next cycle, the doctor said, wait, wait, hold on, you're already pregnant. Go back home. Right? They got pregnant naturally when they thought that they might not even get pregnant with fertility treatment. That's wow. the beauty of a plant-based.
1: So we had a question, Dr. Rachidin. Uh Any options for paneer and curd? Dairy-free paneer sure. and curd?
0: Absolutely. In fact, there are easy options for both of these for paneer you can simply buy tofu from your nearest shop or supermarket you can even make tofu at home you just need to soak and grind soya beans uh, soya dal right and filter it you get soya milk you boil the milk mix some lemon into it and it curdles just like you boil milk and mix lemon it becomes paneer do the same thing with soya milk and it becomes tofu Uh, strain it out of the cloth cut it in whatever shapes you want and Use it, right? You just need to squeeze it out a little more than you would squeeze out paneer and it will become just as hard as paneer and taste and looks exactly the same. Uh, For curds, you want to make uh, something like curd rice. You can even make an instant curd where you just take a few cashews or badams, grind them with water and mix it with your rice. Put a little lemon into it to make it sour, tangy, and that's it. Your curd rice is ready. You don't even need to ferment it. If you want to ferment it, you can make cashew or almond milk or peanut milk and uh, ferment it overnight. Again, squeeze some lemon into it, put some chopped up chilies or chili crowns. Now, these are not new tricks. These are actually tricks that our grandmothers have used when they didn't have curds at home to make curds from milk. Right? You, Anyone watching this video, you can ask your grandmother. If you don't have curds, how do you make curds from milk? Chop up a chili, put it in milk after boiling, and it becomes curds, right? You do the same thing with peanut, curd, peanut milk and it becomes peanut curds. Do it with soya milk, becomes soya curds. You know, earlier, we used to drink one type of milk, one type of curds, one type of paneer. Now really? we have 10 different types of milks, and the most difficult part is to figure out which one should I have today, right? So it's more variety, more taste, and a healthier life at the end.
1: You know, so people talk about this A2 milk uh, because generally we ask people to go dairy-free because of the casein uh, in it, the animal protein in it. And people talk about having, consuming A2 milk and not having any problems after having A2 milk. So what's what's your view on A2 milk?
0: Sure, sure. So uh, this is uh, very interesting, actually. The initial round of research that was conducted on A2 milk was conducted on, uh, so what the researchers found was when you feed pigs with A1 versus A2 milk, the pigs that are fed A2 milk stay healthy. The pigs that consume A1 milk fall sick with hypertension, diabetes. I don't remember which diseases they were, but the pigs did not stay healthy. They developed chronic lifestyle disease, right? But the pigs fed A2 milk stayed healthy. Now, the difference in A1 and A2 is in the protein structure of the casein. Uh, they're both slightly different from each other, right? right. Because of which uh, the pig's bodies were able to break down the A2 milk fully and that therefore mm-hmm. not causing any issues. But the A1 milk did not get broken down fully and that caused issues. Now, from this study, a lot of companies around the world concluded that mm-hmm. A2 milk mm-hmm. is healthy, A1 milk is unhealthy. And it was used for marketing. However, more recent studies were conducted in human beings because we're not pigs, we're humans. Right? So conducted in human beings where they found that whether or not you consume A1 or A2 milk, they both pose the same threat to your health our bodies are not capable of digesting either the A1 or the A2 milk completely. So they break up into large protein pieces, which then get absorbed into the body and set up autoimmune diseases, increase inflammation, cause a lot of havoc inside our body. So it doesn't matter whether milk is A1 or A2. If it comes from a cow, it's probably not meant for you to consume.
1: Right. So, uh, yes, I think uh, that was a good clearance of point even um, it was there on my head there's another question uh, what about packaged milk like amul i think it's a definitely sure, no it, it doesn't matter
0: yeah so it, it doesn't matter whether it's packaged it comes from a farm that you know you grow a cow in your own house it doesn't matter because the the milk is milk at the end of the day, right? Even if, uh, let's say, you feed a cow organic hay, organic grass, and um, you take care of the cow, like it's your own family member, and keep her at home, make sure her calf has enough to drink, and then take milk out from the calf, it's still going to cause disease because that's not a food that human beings have evolved to consume. Right? Think about it. There is no other animal on the planet that drinks the milk of a different animal. There's no other yes. animal on the planet that drinks milk after growing up. We're the only ones who do it. Milk mm-hmm. is nature's baby food from a mother directly to her baby. And even the composition of mother's milk changes between every single feed, depending on what the infant needs. If the baby has a small infection, the infection goes from the baby's saliva onto the skin of the mother while feeding the mother's skin absorbs that uh, and the white blood cells in the mother's body produce the uh, antibodies for that particular organism, secrete it into the milk, and it gets delivered to the baby in the next feed. Right? It's that closely controlled. It's that closely crafted for that unique baby from that particular mother. Uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, um, it's not a healthy food for us to consume or is it logical to consume it in any way, except in times right. of food scarcity, which is not a problem today.
1: Right. Uh, there was another question, Dr. Rachidan. I think Richa had asked um, that, is soya milk good for your hormones? Uh, I think there have been a lot of uh, uh, studies uh, saying that soya mimics your estrogen levels in the body of a woman. So, uh, you know, is is that uh, why we shouldn't have soya milk a lot if uh, if someone's having a hormonal imbalance or PCOS or infertility issues?
0: Sure. So that's a great question. Uh, soya contains what are called phytoestrogens. They are the yes. plant versions of the hormone estrogen, right? And when we consume it, there are certain estrogen receptors in the body which get activated. But, and this is something that was discovered a little more recently, right? But there are two types of estrogen receptors in the body. There is one type in the bones and the other type in the reproductive organs to understand it very simply. Uh, so what SOYA does, the phytoestrogen in SOYA, what they do is they strengthen your bones while at the same time improving the health of your reproductive system, by reducing the effect of estrogen on the reproductive system. The problem is too much of activation by estrogen leads to increased uterine cell growth, causing uterine cancer, causing breast cancer, right? Um, But at the same time it's needed for your bones. If you consume phytoestrogens from soya and many other foods, then you get stronger bones with reduced stimulation to the uterus and uh, other reproductive organs, which is great, which is exactly what we need. But if you consume too much of soya, then that ends up stimulating the reproductive organs as well, right? But how much is that too much? It's about 40 cups of soya beans a day, which I doubt anybody can even get through, even if they thrive. Right? So as long as you're like under 40 cups a day, it's absolutely fine. It is very healthy for us to consume. Uh, so
1: what's your, uh, you know, recommendation for soya milk? Like maybe once a day is good?
0: You, know, you can have it as much as you like. Like the upper limit every day is 40 cups. Don't drink more than 40 cups of soya milk or eat more than 40 cups of soya. But I highly doubt anyone's even going to reach there. So it's, you don't even need to think about it. You can eat as much as you like.
1: Yeah. Right. Also, what are your views on tea and coffee? You know, the most common beverages which everyone is so used to having on a regular basis, and uh, some people also say, you know, that I add very little milk to it and have. Uh, what What is What are your views on beverages like tea and coffee? And or even if it is not, uh, you know, made with dairy, do you recommend it just having like black coffee or black tea? Sure.
0: So uh, two things. Number one. The biggest issues with tea and coffee are the milk and sugar that we mix into it, right? If we don't do that, then the, um, you know, the, um, you what you call like it, the it. damage that it causes to the body is a lot less. And okay, you don't like it as well, right? Uh, the second part is the tea and coffee themselves. When you think about it, tea is a herb and coffee is a dal, right? It's a bean. So they should be healthy for us technically. The problem yeah. is, When we process tea and coffee, when we roast and ferment it, a lot of the beneficial phytonutrients in both tea and coffee get destroyed. Right? Green tea, fresh tea leaves, just dried, are one of the healthiest drinks on the planet. Green coffee is also one of the healthiest drinks on the planet. But when we roast these, when we ferment these, we destroy most of the beneficial phytonutrients and you're just left with the blackened, darkened tea and coffee um, with the caffeine. Now, the problem with caffeine is that there are two types of people, biologically, physiologically. Like one type of people who use caffeine quickly, the other, uh, other type whose bodies take a longer time to metabolize quickly are not going to experience too many uh, harmful effects to the body when they consume coffee. But the other kind who metabolize it slowly is going to have an increase in multiple diseases like strokes and heart attacks when they consume caffeine regularly. So I do not recommend consuming tea or coffee on a regular basis uh, because there are one, it's not the two of the best, healthiest drinks. But there are so many other delicious drinks that we can drink on a daily basis, right? You have um, herbal and spice teas. You can make teas from ginger, dhania, jeera, uh, spices that are at home and they're absolutely delicious. On our website, nutrition science.in, we have like 10, 15 different herbal and spice tea recipes, which our community loves. Instead of just drinking one type of tea or coffee, you can have ten different types and drink each one on, you know, rotational basis.
1: <laughs> right. So all all those tea and coffee lovers, you can you know check out the page for uh, some good healthy recipes of herbal teas and maybe try one of those and leave behind the caffeine and the uh, and the tea. Uh, also, Dr. Achitan, um, there was a question uh, someone requested uh, that if you could talk something about hydrotherapy, because I think it's a very, very core part of our practice. And uh, uh, how, how can we use that along with going plant based? Uh, what is the role of hydrotherapy?
0: Sure. I think um, you have a little more experience than me in that regard. So, uh, why don't you share your experience? That would be much better.
1: So, yeah, hydrotherapy, I think uh, it acts as a more supportive measure to whoever, you know, uh, initially when we put you on a detox or uh, or if we change your diet dietary patterns, I think hydrotherapy, uh, you know, if I talk about hydrotherapy, it's mostly about the wet packs or the enemas or the... Uh, hip baths, steam baths, uh, these help you get rid of those toxins from the body and help you undergo the diet uh, easily. Uh, so the shift becomes more easy uh, when you're taking these treatments because they support your body. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, there are things you can do at home, like maybe just a cold hip bath or a cold wet pack to your abdomen uh, or a cold throat pack. These are the most basic or, or maybe just enema. You can take it at home by yourself. Uh, so uh, these are some of the things you can do uh, at your home by yourself. Yeah. Anything from your side, Dr. Chitan, on hydrotherapy? Any of your experience?
0: Um, so related to nutrition, right, interestingly, a lot of people have this habit of drinking one liter of water first thing in the morning.
1: Uh, Without
0: realizing how damaging it can be, uh, uh, the volume of our blood is about five liters. When we drink water, immediately our stomach takes all of that water and dumps it into our blood. And suddenly the volume has increased by 20%. All our blood vessels are trying to figure out what to do with all of this excess blood the kidneys start working over time. The heart starts working over time because it suddenly has 20% extra blood to pump and the kidneys need to immediately filter out all of this water, which is why we need to pee in an hour or two, right? as soon as we drink that water. In, in drinking that one liter, overloading in that manner actually leads to increased stress on the heart and kidneys, leading to chronic disease again. So instead of that, what we recommend is to drink half of it, like right? two glasses of water, early in the morning is a great idea, but not more than that. And that's one very important thing that we uh, like to share with everyone. Uh, and uh, also every day, some people have the habit of drinking four liters, five liters of water, yes. that it's healthy, right? Uh, so two things about that. One is if you consume a whole food plant-based diet, the fiber in your food absorbs water and sitting in your large intestine after it completes digestion, It stores water, allowing your body to take a sip whenever it needs to, right? But if you consume a diet low Mm -hmm. in fiber, then you need to drink so much more water because there is no fiber to hold the water. So fiber acts like a water bottle inside our large intestine for the body, right? So um, your water requirement will also reduce. And the amount of water or beverages. So uh, this includes your herbal teas, your spice teas, your soups, your smoothies and water, right? All of these together, uh, drinking about two liters a day is the healthiest way for
1: Yes, I think that's a very good point made here. Um, All right. So uh, moving ahead, one, I think last question from my side. So, there is a question, can hair loss from PCOD be cured with just nutrition and supplements? Can the DHT in the hair follicles ever be completely rid of?
0: Okay, um, hair fall from PCOD, I am not sure because I have not yet come across research that has uh, been done specifically on this. But I shall check it out and share it with you so that you can share it with whoever. Um, I'm sure, uh,
1: you know, if we, we would work on balancing your hormones initially with the change of diet. So I'm sure once your hormones are balanced enough, uh, I'm sure there will be improvement with your, uh, with your hair loss as well. If it's a hormonal issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolute. All right. So, uh, one last question from my side would, would be how can one start with going plant based? Sure.
0: What are the, so what are the steps? That's a great question. Yes. That's a great question. The, uh, a lot of my patients listen to this entire speech of mine and then mm-hmm. say, see, this is all okay. But what mm-hmm. do I do when I go back home? <laughs> yes, You're exactly. Telling me, you, I can't eat anything you, you from You need my to
1: my change teacher. your entire like, household for that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we tell them is that the first step, step number one, forget about the unhealthy foods focus on the healthy foods. The first step towards healthy eating is to eat more of the healthy foods. For example, right? Begin every meal by eating two fruits. As simple as that. I'd eat uh, maybe a uh, a good-sized apple or uh, an orange and a uh, a pomegranate or don't try to eat two watermelons, right? You know what I mean? Two cups of fruits, right? If it's a bigger fruit and then continue with the rest of the meal. What happens then is that number one, you have eaten more healthy food. Number two, your stomach is automatically a little full. So you eat less unhealthy food at the end of the meal, which is typically when with all our desserts and crunchies which come in at the end, you won't feel hungry. You won't feel like eating it. If you look at the results from the Global Burden of Disease Study, which is the largest study on human death and disability conducted until today by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they've found that the number one risk factor for death in India is the food that we eat. Right? The biggest problem in our country is what we eat. Biggest thing that's killing us off. If you look at dietary risks, what is it in our food that's killing us off? I, people usually say it could be oil, maybe it's uh, dairy, maybe it's white rice, maybe it's eating out, overeating, but it's none of those things. The number one, not just number one, in fact, about among the top 10, most of them are diets low in healthy foods. Number one is a diet low in whole grains. Number two is a diet low in fruits. Uh, and then you have diet low in legumes, nuts, um vegetables. These are the biggest risk factors that are killing us off. So first step towards healthy eating is to eat more healthy foods. Eat more fruits, eat more vegetables, eat more dals, explore your grocery store, explore online stores, buy millets, buy unpolished whole grains like red rice, brown rice, black rice. White rice is not a variety of rice. It's polished you Sona Masuri and Basmati, for example, are brown rice varieties. Right? You polish it, you get white rice. But the whole rice yeah. is brown. So get unpolished rice. Get whole wheat and not maida. Get um, unbroken wheat and not rava. So make these shifts first. Increase your intake of healthy foods. Automatically, the unhealthy foods start going out of your diet. This is step number one. Step number two is to educate yourself. Learn about what is healthy. And what is unhealthy, right? And take it one step at a time. Uh, it's a uh, lot of times it's very confusing because every day in the newspaper, there is a different news that you get. One day coffee is healthy for you. One day is unhealthy. One day they say, don't eat butter. Doctor, and Chocolate is day healthy for is you. Yes. Exactly. Right. So it's very confusing. The first step is to learn more about it. Learn the science for yourself, right? Take chocolate, for example, right? Cocoa beans are healthy. Milk and sugar or not. So you want to make healthy chocolate? Take cocoa beans, grind it up, grind it up with some cashews and dates and you get delicious chocolate that's healthy for you. You can make as much of it as you like and it's actually much cheaper than most of the chocolates you get in the stores so or you can even eat more of it for the same cost, right? So the second important step is to educate yourself and that's the reason we started NutritionScience.in as an online learning platform anybody who wants to learn about a whole food plant based diet what to eat what not to eat how to eat healthier um tips to cook a lot of people told me like uh, the first thing i think of when i go into my kitchen is take a pan and put two spoons of oil in it how do i cook without oil right yeah. so we have a series of videos on a plant based diet masterclass that teach you exactly how to cook any dish you want without oil from pakoras to bhajis to bondas to your um fries and burgers and whatever you want with zero oil right? we have more than 200 different whole food plant-based recipes that you can take up through a free 21 day plant-based kickstart where you uh you get a video every day about plant-based nutrition along with a meal plan for the whole day what to eat for breakfast lunch snacks dinner and extra recipes which a lot of people have found very useful because by the end of that three weeks once they practice cooking with healthy ingredients, there's no looking back. They tell us, wow, now after three weeks, I ate at a restaurant. This my favorite restaurant, my favorite dish. And I did not enjoy it. It's too salty. It's too oily. Right? Right. When that happens, then you can make a permanent lifestyle change. Otherwise, it just ends up being a temporary diet. right? You go on a diet for a month and then you're back to your old diet, back to your old problems. That's not a permanent solution. The only permanent solution is to make a permanent lifestyle change. That's only possible through learning, practice, these two things.
1: How do we manage to eat healthy when, we, when we're eating out in restaurants? So like I think Dr. Ajitam uh-huh. mentioned that, you know, look for the healthy options.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so this is actually very simple. Um, the, when you go to a restaurant, speak to the waiter and give him your set of criteria, right? Tell him, I'm so sorry, just a minute. Yeah. Tell the restaurant person, or tell the waiter, right? Can you make anything for me without oil, without dairy and without sugar? These are the three things that restaurants usually use. In most dishes, almost every dish, even if it's a kara savory dish, it's bound to have a whole lot of sugar in it. If it's a sweet dish, it's going to have one truckload of salt in it because that's how they get you to eat that food, make it tastier for you, more appetizing, right? So ask him if he can make any of this for you. His first answer is going to be no. We don't have anything on the menu like this, right? But the way restaurants function, uh, and I know this because we have a restaurant called Sampurnahara. The way restaurants function is that they uh, cook the rice, they cook dal, they cook your vegetables and keep them ready. When you order a dish, there are like 100 different dishes on the menu. They can't keep all those dishes ready at the same time. Just keep the vegetables boiled and ready. When you order a dish, they put oil, they put the masala, they put your vegetables, they mix it all together and give it to you. Right? So all you need to do is tell them, skip the oil, skip the butter, skip the ghee, put whatever spices you want and give it to me. Put less salt than usual. And that's it. It's very, very simple. It's very easy. If the waiter gives you any trouble, talk to the chef. The chef will understand what you want and they'll be more than happy to give it to you. We've eaten out like hundreds of times and except in one restaurant over the last six years, we have managed to get what we wanted every single one. It's very easy as long as you know what you're looking for. And for that once again, the first step is learning about it. So um on our Kickstart we have a kitchen replacement chart where we list out every single unhealthy food that we need to avoid eating. Right? So you can just download it and then keep it with you as a handy guide. When you go to a restaurant and just check that and say, oh, Hey, I don't want one, two, three, four, five. And then they'll make it for you without it.
1: Wow, I think that one was a more. Big, sorry, one more expedition. thing very
0: important was to uh, remember to take your own fruits because restaurants have everything except fresh fruit. Right? It's crazy, but they simply don't have any fresh fruit for you. So take your own fruits, eat your fruits, and then order your food to eat.
1: Right so yeah i think your answer uh, your your question has been answered very very elaborately and beautifully by dr achutan we have one more interesting question on sugar i think sugar is one thing uh you know which uh, which is considered to be the most harmful of everything out there what which sugar is preferred for consumption what are the other alternatives for sugar plant based sugar and uh, uh, and, and
0: what are your views on sugar? Sure. Um, so the problem with sugar is that it's not just empty calories, but it's actually harmful calories. When we consume sugar, the body needs to use its own antioxidant uh, reserves in order to protect itself from the damaging effects of that sugar. So it's not just neutral, it's actually harmful for us. Right? So, uh, we need to avoid consuming any sugar that is processed, and that's the key word there, right? So think right. of this: can you can we think of any whole plant food that's naturally sweet? All fruits and all dry fruits are naturally sweet, right? So all we need to do is replace the sugar, the jaggery, and the honey in our recipes with fruits and dry fruits. In fact, traditional Indian recipes, most of them use this trick. And you have uh, jackfruit appams, you have mango uh, kheer, you have uh, banana rasayana. Uh, every culture in India uses fruits to sweeten its dishes. And that's what we need to do as well. We use Some. date syrup. It's the easiest to use and easiest to make as well. Just buy see, um, de-seeded dates, soak it in water overnight, grind it in the morning and you can keep it in the fridge for up to a week. It doesn't get spoiled. You can squeeze a little bit of lemon juice just to ensure that it has a longer fridge shelf life. Okay. And um, once a week, make your uh, one kg of date syrup and use it. You can use it for your uh, spice drinks. You can use it for your key for making your halvas, laddus, anything you like.
1: Yeah. I remember the date laddus, which, You'd made me eat, which was which was cooked by uh, Sampur Nahara. And it was delicious. Ah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, do Asha. check out their recipes. Also, there's a question on Stevia. Do you recommend Stevia?
0: Uh, sure, you can use Stevia. But because of its high magnesium content, uh, we don't recommend consuming more than four Stevia sweetened drinks per day. So, that's the maximum limit. Up to that limit, you can use Fair it enough. every day.
1: Yeah. What
0: about jaggery? So jaggery, interestingly, think about it. Remember earlier during the talk, we spoke about two questions to ask. Number one, is it from a plant? Yes, jaggery is from a plant. Number two, is it a whole food? No, it's not a whole food because you squeeze sugarcane, remove the juice and then boil the juice to get jaggery, right? You remove the fiber from sugarcane. Therefore, making sugarcane juice a processed food and anything you make from it is also a processed food. When you consume jaggery or sugarcane juice, right? you have a sugar